I want to start uh, today by just, <clears throat> just going on record with something. I, I want to say how extraordinarily inspired I was on yesterday to witness thousands of kids all across this country marching and standing up for safety and I think that was an awesome thing. And I just don't think, for me, it would not be right just because of my experience to end a series on suffering that is caused by sin and evil in the world and not acknowledge the folk in this congregation and the folk that uh, I have known over the last 20 years who have suffered greatly as a result of gun violence. As I had far too many funerals in Roxbury uh, during my years of pastor there. I went to far too many funerals. I cried with far too many parents to not acknowledge it today. One young man I want to note, just because I think he's an example, a young man by the name of Stephen Odom, who was the son 10 years ago of a clergy couple that were my colleagues in Boston, Ron Odom and Kim Odom. They pastored True Vine Pentecostal Church in Roxbury. One night, this young 13-year-old, he was then the age that my daughter is now, was walking home. He's not involved in any gangs. He had no horrendous, none of that activity that you usually associate in uh, urban communities. He was just walking home, bouncing his basketball. Somebody shot and killed him. And turned the city upside down. I show his picture because he is reminiscent of thousands of young people who've lost their lives in urban areas and parents who think that those lives have been forgotten. I show his picture because he's reminiscent of thousands of young people, not just in urban areas, but now at Columbine, Sandy Hook, and the high school in Florida. And now it's black and it's white and it's across race who feel like these lives have been lost for nothing. So I was inspired on yesterday because I hope that all those parents, just for a moment, were able to conclude you know, maybe God has heard our prayers. And maybe he's raising up children to challenge this nation to do something about this problem. That's my hope as I looked at yesterday. And let me hasten, I'll conclude this by just simply saying this. There's a wide range of political solutions from the right to the left, and I'm not endorsing any of them. The only thing that I'm saying I just want to echo what these young people were echoing yesterday. Doing nothing should not be a solution or an option. So God, we remember parents today who grieve. And we remember not just parents, but siblings and loved ones who have lost people to gun violence. And not just children, but adults. And we pray for this nation. 
We pray for the leaders of this nation, that you will somehow lift us above partisan insanity. Break the hearts of our congressmen and women. Break the heart of our president and his team. And lead us and help us to do something that will move us towards healing. Would you? We thank you for what we're seeing. We're excited about the hope that lies ahead. Everybody shout amen. 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 Come on, let's give God a hand praise. He's good. All right, let's get busy. I've got one passage to read and somewhat of a a, closing passage here on suffering. It's Job chapter 42, verse 5. Would you all stand, please? Job has an encounter with God at the end of his journey of suffering. And the encounter finally changes his life. Actually, his life was being changed throughout the suffering season. And this uh, contextualizes it for him in a way that he helps them, him to make some sense out of it. Here's what Job says. I had only heard about you before, God. But now, everybody shout, but now. But now I have seen you with my own eyes. Everybody shout, a personal experience. Please be seated. My wife gets credit here because she takes the lead in trying to make sure that our family eat together at least three times a week. Sometimes we do even better than that, but we try to average at least three times a week. And I just offer that to all of you in a world that is so fragmented, in a world where kids have TV in their rooms, and everybody have TVs, and everybody get the food and go to different rooms, uh, and they're just fragmented. I want to encourage you, why don't you pick two or three nights a week and just try to make sure, or uh, if you can't do dinner, do breakfast, but you ought to have some time for the family to come together. Tell the person next to you, he's talking about me, I understand, I get it. Come on, tell him. Yeah. Eat together. That's important. My wife gets credit for that. The other night at dinner, we, when we go around at dinner, we told, tell stories about highs and lows of our day and how we saw God moving and a variety of things. And Lord, all of us are equal participants. And Rhonda brought home a story that was absolutely moving. She said that earlier that day she had an encounter with one of her patients who she had been working with. The patient had been diagnosed with cancer. And over the course of several months had been treated and he had come in the office that day thinking uh, that he was going to get really good news. This particular patient uh, is a follower of Jesus and he came in with a strong sense of faith. Treatments were over. Rhonda shared about how her heart was broken and really kind of tears in her eyes to have to communicate to this person that in fact his Final test results were not good. They were bad news. The cancer had returned, and he was terminal. And then Rhonda said that she was overtaken by his reaction, really stunned in a very powerful way. So it paused for a moment. He thought. And then from memory, he quoted 2 Corinthians 
Chapter 1, verse 4. Here it is. We're going to put it up here. From memory, he quoted. Here's what he said. He quoted this. He, meaning God, comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort that God has given us. And then he said to Rhonda, so how much time do I have? And she shared with him what the expectation was. And this is what really blew her away and blew us away around the table. He didn't miss a beat. He said, well, I've got to hurry up so I can tell as many people as I can about the love of God that exists in Jesus Christ. Come on, let's give God a hand, please. That's pretty remarkable. You know, Philippians 4.8, Paul, the same one who writes this text about comforting others with the same comfort that God has comforted us with, uh, he, he helps us to kind of position ourselves to think deeply about the world and the big questions of the world and our faith. And here's what he says. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, and whatever is lovely, admirable, if there's any excellent or praiseworthy things, think about such things. Everybody shout, think. He's arguing that we should think deeply. And actually, scholars who look at this text says, whatever is noble, right, and pure. Uh, and he's, they say that those words really reflect to our theology. Think classical theology about, 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 about who we are in Jesus Christ. So some people, when they hear what this patient said to Ronald, they would say, oh my gosh, that was just a kind of knee-jerk re- reaction. But I want to argue that probably here was a man who has thought deeply about who he is in Jesus Christ and what gifts comes to his life as a result of his relationship. And he's lived long enough with Jesus to understand that even in suffering, there are some assurance that squeezes hope into suffering. Can you shout assurances? All right, let me give you these. And I, wanted, I just want to dance between this patient, the text, and Job. Job discovered these same assurances. Remember, this verse ends in chapter 42. It's the very end of his story. And he goes on. He lives a long time after chapter 42 is over, according to the writer of Job. But he has some assurances that he, he just did not have prior to going, prior to going through this horrendous season of suffering. The first thing that Job contends with and, 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 and gives an assurance that this patient had really comes out of the understanding that life has a rhythm. Can you say rhythm? You even see it in the seasons of life. And I always say the couples who are getting married, the couples who have been married for uh, a while, I always say that they can kind of determine uh, the course that their marriage will take just based on the season of life, the seasoning. So, for example, there's spring. 
And in spring, you know, that's when you first fall in love. You first are Google-eyed about the person that you're in love. My wife called home when we were dating, and we had dated for a couple of months. And she called home and told her mother, Mom, I met this guy. He's really, really awesome. And, you know, we've never had one fight. And, you know, I think we're going to live forever and never have a fight. That's spring, y'all. That's spring. That's spring. Can you say spring? <laughs> That's spring. We all go through that in the blooming of love in life. And then comes summer. We all know what summer is. That's when love is hot and passionate and sweet and exciting. It's, it's, it's when you rush to leave work so you can go be with the one that you love. That's, that's summer. That's summer. That's summer. But then comes fall. Everybody shout fall. I, I, I think that I like this notion of not referring to it as autumn. I, I, I like this notion of fall. That's a real good metaphor for what happens. If, you, if you've ever been in a relationship with anybody past six months, you understand fall. Come on now. <laughs> fall, 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 fall. That's when the leaves are still colorful. But the temperature changes. And there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a temperature change, and, and while the leaves are colorful, they're falling, and it, has, it is a season where stuff is fading. Say fading. Fading, 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 fading. That's when you run into her baggage. He's running into your baggage, and you've gotten tangled up in the baggage. I'm claustrophobic, and... And I, I'm very careful how I take off my shirt, these shirts that go over, because ever since I was a kid, I tend to get lost in the shirt. <laughs> and that's how it is in our love affairs. That at some point, you and she or him, uh, you guys get lost in each other's baggage and stuff starts to fade. You're like, I'm trapped. What was I smoking? <laughs> then comes winter everybody shout winter and if you've been with somebody long enough you know this is be true this is the point where you come where at some point you wake up and it's like a Boston winter come on everything is frozen the trees are bare there's no green anywhere nothing but snow you look around all you see is just dead 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 <laughs> that's where you have the conversation you know I just don't love you anymore that, that's where people start looking for lawyers and all that kind of stuff but I always remind my couples if you can just hang in there come on now shout hang in there I mean, we learned something about the resurrection of the, the, the good news of the gospel is this, that Jesus dies, come on now, as, as, as dead as a donut, but, 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 but after three days, he comes to life again and he, he lives. And, and if you can just hang in there, get some therapy, get some counsel, hang in there, pray, come on now, hang in there, keep coming to church and applying scripture to your relationship, hang in there, come on, stop working on yourself, stop working on the other, come on, hang in there sooner or later new life will break forth spring will come again Amen. I guarantee you 
<laughs> I always say to couples, and this is inevitable, you know what died during the winter? What died in the winter was the fantasy that you married. You know what was born in the new spring? Mature, realistic, real love. The kind of love that can take you through anything. But you got to go through something to get an anything kind of love. You say, man, come on, give God a hand, praise. That's what. Shout rhythm. So, but the, 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 the insight here is that life has rhythms. It has ups and downs and ups and downs. And like a wonderful surf, if you, I've never surfed, but I'm told that if you're going to be a successful surfer, you have to learn how not only just stand on the board, but you've got to learn how to ride the rhythms of the wave and hold your balance. And what Rhonda's patient was teaching us is that, that through life, as he walked with Jesus, he learned how to ride the rhythms of the waves of life. And Job's understanding of the rhythm of life radically changed by the time he gets to this point. I have heard you, but now I see you. It radically changes. Let me tell you why. Because when you start off with Job, you'll recall he, he has high integrity he fears God, and he shuns evil, and he's super blessed, and his life goes up like this. And then evil strikes, and his life goes down. He loses his health. He loses his wealth. He loses his ideal family, and it goes down like this. And he struggles. He struggles. He struggles. There are some peaks every now and then. Chapter 19, I talked about it last week. You know, just kind of comes out of nowhere where he says, I, 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 I know my Redeemer lives. I can't find him. I'm in the dark. I don't know where he is, but I know he lives. And one day I'll see him uh, 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 as I stand here on the earth. But then, but then he goes back down. Shout rhythm. And if you had to ask Job anywhere between chapter 3 in chapter 38, where's your life going to end up? He would have said, my life will obviously end up in death, in disease, alone, hopeless. That's what he would have said. But by the time he reads these, writes these words, by the time he says, I've heard you. I, I, I've heard of you, but now... I've seen you with your, my own eyes. He realizes what Rhonda's patient already knew. He realizes that the rhythm of life begins with God and always ends with God. Yes. Rhonda's patient understood this by thinking deeply about Jesus. And, and he reflected, I'm sure, on the words that Jesus says in Revelation chapter 22 when he declares this as, as, as the expression of the ultimate expression of God. I am the Alpha and the Omega. 
I am the first and the last. I am the beginning and the end. You see what I'm saying? No matter what happens in between, come on now. The good news is the rhythm of life starts with God and he guarantees it will end with God. Now, if you can go through your suffering and come out on the other end of suffering, knowing that the rhythm of life begins and ends with God, oh, what a confidence you'll be able to live life with. Because you will never fear dying in the middle. Because the rhythm of life Begins with God. Ends with God. The second insight that Job discovers, he stumbles across it. And, and when we're, we're missing, uh, if we, we, we just read so often, we just we skip over some of the, the most insightful stuff. And it's packed right at chapter 38, verse 1. It, it, it's, the, it's the beginning of the dialogue that God speaks. And it's so easily missed. But it's an incredibly profound point. It says, it says if you read chapter 38, verse 1, it, out there, it says this. It says, it says, then, shall then, right at the pinnacle of his suffering, then the Lord answered Job from the what? Whirlwind from the hurricane, from the storm. Listen now, Job had been in a storm since chapter 3. And he'd been saying, where is God? I've, I looked for him in the north. I looked for him in the south. Uh, where is God? I want to talk to him. I want to counsel with him. Where is God? I want to challenge him about his justice and his righteousness. Where is God? He's closed the curtains and he's gone on vacation. But in this verse, he discovers Job's, well, the Lord Answers Job, watch this, from within the storm. What's the insight? Job discovered that God had been with him all alone. Matter of fact, the way he got to chapter 38 was because God was with him all alone. So the second insight is, I may be in the in-between, and it may be dark and fearful and painful, but if I know Jesus, I'm never alone. God is with me. Come on, tell the person next to you, God is with you. Come on, tell the other person, you will survive because God is with you. That was, that was the testimony of Rhonda's patient because he thought deeply about Jesus. And, and when he reflected on the fact that he was the son of God who came and walked among us, who was truly innocent, y'all, had done no wrong, no sin, uh, healed the sick, raised the dead, fed hungry people. Come on now. Uh, 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 Paul writes in Corinthians that God made him sin that, that, he, that we might become the righteous of God through him, so when we think deeply about who Jesus is, uh, uh, innocent, but shows up on a cross, dying in the place of all the guilty, he, he is a, it, as I think deeply about it, he reminds me, he tells me, boy, Herman, if I'll go through the cross to save you, 
That is the blessed assurance that I'll never leave you alone. In other words, listen, even though Rhonda told her patient, you're terminal, his awareness of who, of the love of God in Jesus said to him, I may be terminal, but because he's with me, I will survive. He say, survive. I said, man, what are you talking about? You said he's terminal. Well, listen, one person said, on your tombstone, there's the date that you're born. And then there's the date that you die. And then there's a dash. And what they say is that all your life is contained in the dash. However, shout however. Because Rhonda's client, patient, knew Jesus. He knew that all his life was not contained in the dash. Y'all ain't listening to me. Come on now. Take the dash, come on now, and make it a rope and stretch it all around this sanctuary. And now you got a sense of eternal life. And now you get excited when you hear Paul writes, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ in relationship with him who died and rose from the dead. So I don't have to try to hold on to the dash. I got so much more life. You get confused when you just think all you have is this little dash. You do crazy stuff when you think all you have is just this little dash. He said, I'm going to survive. Not because I'm trying to hold on to the dash, but because I've got eternal life. Somebody say, wow. And, And what he was saying is, Before I go, I need to hurry up, shout hurry up, and tell all my family, all my friends, because one day they're going to have some bad news, and I want them to know God in the same way that I know them, and I want them to not be limited to the dash. the, The rhythm, see, here's what I'm trying to get you to see. If you can go through suffering... And come out, as Job did, knowing that the rhythm of your life begins with God and ends with God. And if you know, no matter what, just think about Job. On the other side of chapter 42, he always will know, no matter what tragedy he runs in, that God is with him. He's not limited to the dash. Then thirdly, we miss this when we read the debate. It's not really a debate. Uh, Job didn't have anything to say when God showed up in those three chapters. He had already talked a lot. How many of y'all know when God really show up, nobody has nothing to say? (laughs) But Job realizes, watch this, listen to me, that his life was really, his time on the earth was really about serving God's purposes. 
Now, here's how God backed him into it. If you, if you, if you don't read it closely, you'll miss it. It sounds like, starting around chapter 37, 38 and 39 and 40, that God is throwing a temper tantrum. Talking about his power. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the world? Where was you when I loosed the oceans? And all that. And man, God, is, God wants you to answer the question. What happened? All that. How come you're going through? You're not answering the question. Come on, God. Now, that's what I, the first time I read Joe, that's what I was. That's the dialogue. I'm with God. I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, waiting. And then you get to chapter 41. And chapter 41 begins by talking about uh, uh, the liberty in this 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 creature they don't know what to call it it's a hippopotamus or a big fish or but 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 the theologians best refer to him leviathan the theologians best refer to it as the chaos monster oh i love that can you say chaos monster do you know any chaos monsters <laughs> I know, and I've seen some chaos monsters, y'all. I've seen, you know, sickness can be a chaos monster. Come on, gun violence can be a chaos monster. Come on, come on. I've I've run into chaos monsters somewhere. Cancer can be a divorce can be a chaos monster. Have you seen any chaos monsters? But then God says, "You read it. Go home, read it." He says. Are you able to put a hook in the nose of the chaos monster and tame him? Ooh, y'all ain't listening. <laughs> you know, can, 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 can you subdue him? And by implications, God is saying, I can. God is saying, I'm the only one in creation can. What is the point? Here's what God was saying. I can let evil run loose. Because it's a part of your having free will, but never fear. When it's time, come on now, I can put a hook in the nose of the source of your worst suffering. And, 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 and I can overrule it. Come on now. And it was intending one destruction, but I can make it work towards your good. That's just the God that I am. <laughs> Come on, come on. The Bible backs it up. Genesis 50. Come on now, put it up there. Genesis 50. Joseph's brother sold him into slavery. He ended up in jail, accused of rape, all that. But, but 27 years later, shout 27 years later. Come on now. He's second in command of Egypt and he's saving uh, uh, thousands, uh, tens of thousands of people. And his brothers run into him. And here's what he says. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. To accomplish what is now being done. In other words, Joseph said, God put a hook in the nose of the chaos monster. The saving. And pos- use that to position me to save the lives of many. Can you go, wow. That's exactly what Job said when he said, I've heard of you. But now, I've seen you. So, Job concludes this. If you can even make evil serve your most holy purposes, surely I must be on the planet to serve you too. And so whatever condition I find myself in, come on, Paul, whether I'm hungry or, or, or full, whether I'm, whether, 
whether I'm alone or in a crowd, whatever condition I find myself in, uh, I will offer my life in service to you because you can use it. You can, you can use a sick man in a hospital bed to bring lost folk to Jesus. You can use a grieving set of parents, come on now, to set loose the forces of justice in a community. The, the, uh, uh, Ron and Kim Odom, grieving set, but they launched an organization that has combated community violence for the last 10 years and showing that they know that their son will survive the dash. Shout, serve his purposes. Now go back to Philippians 4.8. Let's wrap this up. Go back to, put it back on the screen. Watch this. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever... It's true, noble, and right, and pure. That points us to who we are in Christ, the theological truths. Rhythm of life begins and ends. He's always with us. Come on now. That we are on the planet to serve his highest purpose. Watch this. And whatever is lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy, shout lovely, admirable. That's the things we are attracted to. All right, now get this insight. One of the things that Rhonda's client, patient was saying is that he's learned as he looks at death how to reorder the priorities of his love. Can you say love? Love. One of the things that suffering will do it, it will help you to figure out what you're holding on to more than what you ought to be holding on to. The spouse who says, I don't know what I'll do if my spouse leaves me, then divorce. The, 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 the person who says, uh, uh, this is the career that I want, and then something happens. Uh, Kelly, Tim Kelly tells this story. He says he had two people in Watch this. In Redeemer, Presbyterian Church, his church. They both were actors. They both were pursuing a career. He said, one of them, both of them are Jesus followers. He said, one of them, if you asked him about the purpose of his acting, he would say that acting was the fulfillment of who he was, his purpose. The other, if you asked him, what is the purpose of acting, he would say, Acting was the means through which he glorified God. In other words, acting was not the end. It was the means to an end. They both uh, read for a major part in a major drama. They both missed it. They both were crushed by the reality of not getting the part. They both went through a long season of grief. But the one for whom acting was his purpose walked away from God, the church, and and plummeted in life. The other who said acting is the means 
through which I glorify God. Watch it. When he worked through his grief, he woke up one day and said, since the goal is to glorify God, I thought the career was acting. But since God closed the door on that career, that must mean there's another career that he wants me to. Are y'all listening to me? Come on, come on, come on. So, 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 here's the insight. Here's the insight. The the Greeks used to say, if you want to stay safe, don't love things you can't control too much. Don't love your job too much. Don't love your family too much. Don't don't love your marriage too much. Because inevitably, your heart's going to be broken because you can't control it. The Greeks used to say, the only thing you can control is your own virtue. So, love your virtue but now we know we've lived long enough to know that the Greeks just missed the whole thing including the virtue because that's character and all of us know come on now we can't even control our own character how many of us have disappointed ourselves again and again and again and again praise God so so not even character can I control all the time come on now so so what does what does what does Paul teach us when he says this is what Paul teaches us, uh, and here's what theologian, Augustine, the theologian, said this. So Augustine, the theologian, said, uh, oh, I don't want to say that yet. Just wait to put a, everybody say, put a pin on that. Come on. All right. uh, uh, here's what Paul teaches us. Watch this. He said, I want you to think deeply about this. Here's what I want you to think about. It's not that I want you to stop loving family, because I don't think you can love people too much. Keep loving. It's not that I want you to stop loving your job keep loving it's not that I want you to love your children any less keep loving it is simply that I want you to love God more Come on, you can celebrate that. You see the point here? Yeah, a lot of folks have said, you got to love these people. You got to love this less. No, no, you just love, but you need to increase your love of God. And how do I love God more and more? I reflect at Easter and through my life on who God is in Jesus, what he gave up for me, what he's done for me. I look for him in my life. Come on now, because Ron was patient, realized he was coming to a point where he was going to have to let go of the stuff that he loved. Come on, let go family. That's what death does, right? Let go of children. Let go of job. Let go of his earthly life. But he wasn't worried about it because he had reached the point where he loved Jesus. Come on now. Just a little bit more. And death was not more, but death was a place of high expectation. Now we see in part, know in part, but when that which is perfect is come, will we know even as we are known. My mama said it like this, I can't wait to go see Jesus. And here's my last point, and I'll finish here. Uh, so if you go through suffering and you get, you got these points, then the last thing you want to know is that God's love is dependable. Tell the person next to you, you can depend on God's love. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what chapter 42 told me to God. Job got back everything double what he had lost, right? And it's really just a right away of saying that at the end of Job's story, God's love proved to be stronger than evil, proved to be stronger than death, proved to be stronger than life, and that, and that, and that God's love was triumphant. That's, this is how the writer, this is how Paul says it in Romans, uh, in Romans 8, uh, 36 and 37. Put it up there. Here's what he says. He says, no, uh, uh, uh. 
uh, put, 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 put uh, 35 up there. Put 35 up there. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, a hardship, a persecution, a famine, a nakedness. In other words, he's saying, look, we're going to have all this trouble and hardship and persecution and famine and nakedness and danger and sword. That's the word for violence. Come on now. We're going to have all that. But should I think that I'm separated from his love? Then comes the next verse, 37. No, shall no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Therefore, watch this. I'm convinced. Shout out. I'm convinced. I'm convinced. That was her, her patient. He was convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor present, nor future, nor any powers anywhere on the earth. Come on now. Nor height, death, nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the all-powerful, all-holding love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord! Shout hallelujah! You see, if you go through suffering, I'm finished now. And if you come out on the other side, knowing that the rhythm of life begins and ends with God, knowing that you're never alone, knowing that your life is to serve the purpose of God, even in your hurts, and ultimately, knowing that God's love is dependable, then you'll come out on the other side of suffering better. Can you say better? Go. Watch this. But if you go through suffering and you miss God and you come out not knowing those four realities, you'll end up bitter. God gave us Jesus to eliminate excuses. He showed us the cycle of life. And he says to us, if you can trust Jesus, all will be good. You know, can you say better? Oh, I'm going to end here. I'm out of time. Come on, give God a hand praise. Hallelujah. Her patient left the hospital saying, what I know about Jesus is so important that I need to hurry up and let everybody I love know. That's what Easter is about. That's what our big celebration is about at the Flint Center. We want to release you. Good news is you don't have to wait till you die to get in a hurry up. Come on, come on, come on. Tell the person next to you, I need to hurry up. Just tell them, I need to hurry up. You need to get out of here and go tell everybody you know. You invite them to come to the Flint Center because when they come to the Flint Center next weekend, come on now, there will be no smoke and mirrors. There will be the truth, reality, that, that there's a cross, come on now, but there is an unconquerable love that was on the cross, that went in the grave, that is now aching to hold their lives. 